The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Messia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And if you like this podcast, feel free to share it with a friend or give it a review or subscribe to it or follow it. We'd appreciate it. Our guest today is Brandon Edge, CEO of Flagship Healthcare Properties, which is a Charlotte-based full-service healthcare real estate company that does leasing, property management, acquisitions, and development of clinical outpatient buildings throughout the Southeast. There's a lot going on right now in the healthcare industry, as well as in the commercial real estate industry. And Brandon, I'm excited to talk to you because your company works with medical office buildings, which means it sits at the intersection of those two industries. And I'm hoping you can help our listeners understand some of the changes in each of those sectors. Welcome. Thank you, Tony. Pleasure to be here and excited to have this conversation. Let's set the table a little bit. What is Flagship Healthcare Properties? What does it do? And how's it going? Great question. So Flagship Healthcare Properties is the operating company that's a full-service commercial real estate firm focused on the clinical outpatient healthcare sector. And that's a mouthful. All that means, clinical outpatient buildings, means we buy and build and lease and manage properties where a person will walk into a medical facility, receive treatment from a healthcare provider, and leave without spending the night. So it's Sometimes easier to understand the types of properties we work with by understanding what we don't work with. And those would be clinical inpatient uses. So we don't buy or build hospitals. We don't buy or build senior housing or skilled nursing or independent living. Those properties where there's an overnight stay component. We're really focused on the delivery of healthcare in real estate where it's outpatient. So you go in for a procedure on your knee or your shoulder. Uh, but you're not spending the night or you're taking your child to his or her pediatrician for a well visit or a sick visit and you're leaving without spending the night. So those are the types of properties that flagship invests into and works with tenants and other landlords in, in managing. So how is that sector doing? It has been, you know, you hear a lot about a potential commercial real estate recession right now with the rising interest rates. And that's true for a lot of general office properties. The medical office sector is vastly different. In, in fact, some of the only things that it shares in common with general office buildings is, is the words. Healthcare performed you know, remarkably well through the great financial crisis. It performed remarkably well through COVID. Our portfolio, for instance, is 94% occupied and has been at that level for the last five years. So it's really been a, a sector that has been resilient and and has not faced some of the challenges that general office buildings are seeing with some of the remote work and work from home trends that have come up the last few years. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to ask you about that because you know the office sector. When you think of office office, that it is it is pretty quiet. You know, there's the new development has really slowed down. It's hard to build new offices right now because what you mentioned the hybrid work environments and the work from home arrangements, and then you have high interest rates and the financing is difficult. And you know, I, I talked to a lot of developers and the, you know, the office component of commercial real estate is, is having a tough time right now. It's interesting that like, but that's really the only thing that you share with it. It sounds like is the, is the word office, like you mentioned, I mean, because with medical office, it seems like the demand there is relatively 
inelastic, right? Because people still need medical services that's still growing. And that whether there's a recession or whether it's boom times, that that demand, I'm guessing, is fairly steady. Is that the right analysis? You nailed it. That's exactly right. That, you know, whether whether we're in an expanding economy or a contracting economy, if you've got a bum knee, it's not getting better just by, you know, by sitting at home. So that was something, you know, I think a lot of folks in the healthcare real estate industry were curious at the start of COVID, what was going to happen with with telemedicine? You know, was that going to eliminate the need for bricks and mortar? And we did see during COVID a, a big rise in telehealth. And so you could use your Zoom, your computer, and, and dial up a, a healthcare provider to get some diagnosis that way. But interestingly, it did not cannibalize the demand for inpatient visits. All it did was open up another avenue for healthcare providers to serve their patients, but it really didn't, we didn't see any, any reduction in demand for space. So you didn't see any slowdown because of that? None of that? It wasn't on a high trajectory and then it slowed down and it's tapering off, nothing like that? So, you know, telemedicine, that spiked in the beginning of COVID and it's still at, at much higher levels. You know, I think something like six times the level of, of telehealth visits are still occurring pre-COVID but it hasn't resulted in healthcare providers utilizing less space. So we're, we're still seeing the demand from physician groups and, and healthcare systems for space. It's just now an, an added avenue for serving their patients via telehealth. But, but we really, while you can, you can diagnose some illnesses, you can maybe help a, a surgeon prep for surgery via telemedicine, but it's really not a substitute for inpatient care. You're still, if you've got, you know, you got a, a bum knee or a bum shoulder, there, there's really no substitute for going and, and visiting in person with your healthcare provider. And you're in markets that are pretty, pretty good markets to be in, I'm guessing, right? You're in the Southeast. It looks like you're pretty heavy in North Carolina, but you go from where? Virginia to Florida? Yep, or that's exactly like that. right. So Maryland is sort of the Northern frontier for us. And we have properties, Maryland down through Florida, uh, and then west to Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And so that sort of 12-state region is where we're focused. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret. That's, those are growing markets. We're seeing a lot of population shifts from the Midwest and the Northeast and the West that are heading to the Southeast. That can be for quality of life. That can be for cost of living. That can be for generally healthy economies. And we have some great healthcare in this part of the world. But even more important than population growth, one of the major drivers of our business is senior population growth. So it's not just the young professionals that are moving to Nashville or Charlotte or Tampa, uh, but it's the, the parents and grandparents of those young professionals. Because those folks, when you, when you, you know, become a senior, the amount of visits you have to physicians increases exponentially. And so that's really the big driver. So we are looking for growing cities to operate, but it's not just growth of, of the general population. It's really senior population growth that, that helps drive our business. Yeah. The millennials get a lot of attention in Charlotte and South End is great and amazing. But one of the lesser told stories is the number of these baby chasers, I think, as they're called, the parents and even the grandparents that start coming down to follow the, you know, their, their kids or grandkids who are moving down here. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yep. And so are, are, what are some emerging markets, uh, emerging retiree markets? I'm guessing everybody knows about Florida. Everybody knows about the coastal areas. Are there any others that you're seeing? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. We've been focused a, a lot on the Orlando to Tampa corridor. That's a obviously a Florida has shown no signs of slowing down in terms of welcoming folks to its to to, to that state. We're also you know, interestingly healthcare is is important for seniors, but so are cultural opportunities and higher education. So we're seeing a lot of college towns where you'd have folks that choose to retire and and head to to markets that have higher education institutions as well. So we've been spending a lot of time in Charleston, in Tampa, in Nashville. And then, as you said, you know, about half of our business is in North Carolina. This is where our company has been established. And, and so really, it represents a, a big chunk of our business. So is there anything that you're seeing out on the horizon right now that indicates there's a slowdown for medical office properties? Is there anything that you're kind of worried about or trends that are that are coming up, you know, that you're keeping an eye on? With respect to demographics, I think the aging of America is not slowing down. And so we're going to have we're going to have, I think, a, a pretty strong run over the next 20 or 30 years with the, the silver tsunami graying of America that's going to continue. The current environment, you know, nobody's immune to to recessions, but higher interest rates, you know, will will put a, a dampening effect on on all investment and all capital being deployed. But but no, in terms of the demand for healthcare services, that shows no sign of slowing down. So we want to make sure that we're well positioned to to keep investing in the sector and helping our tenants and and investing on behalf of our investors. So your clients are mostly who? I mean, what kind of companies you know do you do you work for? Who hires you, and and you know who are? Sure, they? we manage about six and a half million square feet of of medical office space, and we have a, a private real estate investment trust um, that invests in, in these properties. That's about two and a half million square feet that we own on behalf of of accredited investors, but about four million square feet is third-party owners who have hired flagship to lease and or manage their properties. And so those are a wide spectrum of, of clients. Sometimes they're physician groups who may own their own building, but they want to have a professional firm manage the building for them to, to keep expenses in check. Sometimes larger publicly traded companies will hire flagship because of our relationships and knowledge of the market. So groups like Physicians Realty Trust or Healthcare Realty Trust. Sometimes they're large investment firms, groups like Harrison Street or Starwood. They have investments into medical office buildings, but it's the relationships that keep those buildings full and those buildings running. And so those groups will turn to 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 us and engage us to lease and or manage those properties. Um, so we really are, are grateful to have a whole host of, you know, of of clients, whether they're big institutions or individuals who own properties and, and want to make sure that their property is maintained in the best condition possible. What are some of the trends in modern medical office space? I mean, if you talk to developers who do residential real estate, they'll tell you, okay, if you're doing an apartment complex, it's you know, making sure they have pet washing stations and baristas for the the coffee place in the lobby and places to store the e-bikes. And if you, you know, if you're talking to Office developers, they'll say, you know, we need to make sure we have collaborative workspaces and Instagram walls and things like that. What's the equivalent in medical office? What's the latest trends or what is it that that people are wanting? Sure. So we don't quite have all of the amenities that you're seeing in in the multifamily space with the e-bikes and the baristas. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That, that would be office? nice. 
Um, but you are seeing changes in the space. And so if you were to look at a medical office building that was built you know, 30 or 40 years ago versus those being designed today, there are some, some, some key differences. One thing is that as consolidation has continued to occur in the healthcare space, physician groups, medical practices typically are getting larger. Whereas you know, 20 or 30 years ago, you might have a sole practitioner that would be operating in 2,000 square feet of space. Well, now you're seeing much larger groups, whether they're independent or they're part of a larger health system. And so you're seeing floor plates, the size of those floor plates getting bigger. Suites are, are typically getting bigger. You're seeing a shift in, in how the space is designed, whereas 30 years ago, technology wasn't that big a deal. Now you've got to make sure you can accommodate telehealth. So when you're dialing in to, to talk to your doctor, typically your doctor's not, he or she's not at home, you know, with pets running around and children running around. They're doing it from a, a professional office. A lot of times you'll have telemedicine suites in, in medical office buildings. Another change is that uh, record storage. So back 20, 30, 40 years ago, you'd have big file rooms with giant medical paper records. You don't see that so much anymore. Now, you know, medical e-records, electronic health records have kind of been a, a, a big investment for a lot of medical groups. And so you're not seeing giant file rooms like you'd have before. For healthcare systems and kind of integrated healthcare groups, Sometimes you'll see shared waiting rooms. So you might be, you're going to one of the large health systems that may have cardiology and rheumatology and orthopedics all in the same building. Rather than having three separate waiting rooms, you may see in, in today's medical office building a shared check-in. So it makes it a much more efficient layout. And you're also seeing fewer physician offices, whereas you know a couple decades ago, Every physician would have a nice, well-appointed office. These days in a new building, there's more, you're more likely to see transcription cubicles rather than, than big offices, just as a trend to get more efficient in, in how you deliver healthcare services. As far as the investment in this sector, are you seeing any changes on that with the economy? I mean, is this, a, is this an area that's sort of always been seen as sort of slow and steady returns, and now it's you know, people are flocking to it because it's reliable or, or are you seeing any changes in that? Yeah, it, it's medical office space. We like to say that the highs don't get so high and the lows don't get so low as maybe some other sectors. And we've seen, especially since the great financial crisis, a lot more dollars pouring into the space as institutional investors and individual investors saw how well the sector performed. Again, you just didn't, we didn't have physician groups you know, not paying their rent during the, the financial crisis or not paying their rent during COVID. It was a very stable industry driven by the demand for healthcare. And so we've seen more and more dollars come in around the globe into this space. Um, so it makes it more competitive. That's, that's good to, to have additional competition. It makes everybody better. 20, 30 years ago, health medical office really wasn't its own sector. They didn't know where to put it. So they just kind of lumped it in with, with general office. That's changed. And now it's, it's no longer sort of this, this you know, sector that nobody knows where to, where to put it. It's, it's a designated asset class now. How does consolidation in the medical industry affect the need for medical office and how does it affect what you do? I mean, 
sounds like you work with a lot of independent physician practices, that sort of thing. As those get bought up, does that make life more difficult for you or, or not? It, it depends, Tony. You know, we, we work with, in terms of our, our tenant base, about 40% of our tenants are owned by or affiliated with larger healthcare systems. About 40% are independent groups that are not owned by a healthcare system, but have multiple locations. These are, are groups like Ortho Carolinas of the world that are large, established, you know, healthy organizations, but not a part of a system. And then about 18 to 20% of our tenants are single location independent groups. And those would be groups like dentists or orthodontists or dermatologists, groups that has historically have not participated in the consolidation wave to the degree that other specialties have, although that's changing. I think there's a lot of similarities between the financial services industry and the healthcare industry. The financial services industry led probably 20 or 30 years ago with massive consolidation as banks were buying one another. They, then they turned to their real estate and realized we can sell off our real estate and make you know, make more money by, by making loans and leasing this real estate back from folks. Healthcare systems are doing some of the you know, similar type moves now. Consolidation is, is showing no signs of slowing down. Many federal systems have you know, massive investments in real estate, and a number of them are monetizing that real estate, saying we can make a better return on our capital by investing in medical technology or acquiring practice groups, things like that. But one difference between the financial services sector and the healthcare sector is that if two banks merge and they've got branches right across from each other, you know, with the click of a mouse, they can move all those deposits across the street and eliminate the need for, for one building. Healthcare is not quite that simple. You, you can't click a mouse and have 10,000 patients automatically move from one building to the other. You run into space constraints. Again, the, the healthcare delivery is a very people intensive business. And so we don't see the shuttering of, of medical office buildings occur via consolidations. But as these groups and healthcare systems do get larger, they're much more sophisticated. And so they can, they can plan better for their real estate needs and realize some efficiencies by you know, bringing groups together or, or housing groups under, under one roof. So it, it, the business is continuing to change, but we don't see consolidation in the industry as, as being overly disruptive on the real estate side. It's interesting you mentioned financial services because I was reading, I guess your background is in financial services, right? You That's right. From, I'm a, I'm a recovery from BB banker. T, yeah. right, came from BB&T, which of course merged with SunTrust and is now Truist, headquartered in Charlotte. How did that kind of a background prepare you for this industry? And, and what do you like about this industry? So I, I you know, started out after college in a management training program with the bank. I was really driven to get to Charlotte was the, the main driver. So I'm a native of Richmond, but had visited Charlotte in the mid to late nineties and was really impressed with what was going on. It was a young business friendly, growing, vibrant city. And again, that was, that was in the late nineties when it looked vastly different than it does today. And so I began looking for opportunities in North Carolina, specifically Charlotte found an opportunity with BB&T in, in Winston-Salem and said, well, geez, that's, that's 80 miles from Charlotte. That's pretty close. I'll start out there. And so yeah, that opportunity helped provide a, a understanding of finance and you know, how different businesses, whether they were manufacturing or they were service businesses, how they operated. 
and enjoyed doing that for about six years and then went back to, to Chapel Hill to get a business degree. And during that time there, you know, I realized that about a third of my clients at, at the bank were involved in real estate in some form, either they owned their own building or they were developers. And I thought they were having a lot more fun. It certainly seemed like they were having more fun. And so I started focusing on how to, to find a, a, you know, a private equity real estate opportunity. And that's what led me to what is now flagship healthcare properties. So I joined in, in 2006, initially as an intern and, and now 16, 17 years later, I'm honored to, to be running the company. Well, great. And you all have, is it about 70 employees? How many? How We're many? now up to about 105, 105 oh, employees, okay. which has been fun. So I think 2000 and 2006, I think we had six employees. So we've, we've grown a little bit over the past couple of decades. Are all those in Charlotte or are they spread out all over? About three quarters are in Charlotte, but we've got offices in Tampa, in Nashville, up in Virginia, and then have a, a handful of employees that are located in New York, in Indiana, in Tennessee. And so we're, we're in Atlanta now. So we're still growing and, and looking to, to grow even more. Great. I'd just like to close with one final question, just to focus a little bit on Charlotte. What is the outlook for Charlotte specifically? I know you, as we discussed, work all over the Southeast, many different states. But as, as you look at Charlotte, you know, what are you seeing? What, you know, if you could look into your crystal ball a few years ahead, I mean, what, what is this market like for, for healthcare and medical office? The outlook is great. If we could wave a magic wand and pick up flagship and move it to any other market in the country, we wouldn't move it. We wouldn't move it at all. I mean, we are so fortunate to be in an environment in Charlotte where we've got great population. We're attracting folks, both young and older to the region, which is going to be a, a great advantage for us to continue growing. We've got a great airport and a, a really a, a can-do attitude. I think we're going we're gonna to see uh, the medical office space in Charlotte continue to flourish as the city itself continues to flourish. So the things that, that attracted me to, to come to Charlotte in the late 90s, they're only better and more of that today. So I'm excited about seeing what the next 20 years has. Well, great. Brandon, thanks for joining me. Tony, thanks for having me. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.